in Kabbalah, uh, the idea of models are very, very important. In other words, there's certain models in which wisdom is superimposed. One of the models is the elephant. That the Hebrew letters are considered the building blocks of creation. And therefore, throughout Jewish learning, the form, name, and number of the letters become uh, focal points for understanding allegorically other um, ideas. Now, the letters come to symbolize certain ideas. There's two other models that um, are very, very important. One are called the Svirot. The Ten Svirot is very, very connected to last week's Parsha, the Ten Commandments. Now, there's Ten Commandments. The number is very, very important because there's three concepts that are all connected. We're told that God created the world with ten sayings, Esther Mamarot. The first one is, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And if you look to the story of creation, actually nine times it says, and God said, and the first sentence of the Torah is considered the, the tenth. But we'll say ten times God said, let there be something, and there was something. So these are called the ten sayings, ten mamarot. And this is very connected. Um, you, you probably recognize this from the morning prayers. It says, Baruch she'amar v'haya olam. Is that figurative or literal? We say, God, blessed is the one who spoke and the world came into being. So our our common sense would tell us it's figurative. But our tradition tells us it's literal. Meaning that, as much as we can imagine, is that speech, God's speech, divine speech, is an act of creation. The saying and the doing are one. With us, it's separated. We say we're going to do something, and then we do it. By God, they're the same thing. Saying is an action. It creates that which it says. The, the ten spherot, spherot, and this is actually where you get the word sapphire. The word sapphire is connected to the word spherot because it means to shine or emanate or radiate. So there's three tens that all correspond. The ten sayings with which God created the world, the ten spherot, and the ten commandments. We're told that, in essence, they are one thing. They just manifest in different ways. So the spherot, perhaps the best definition are, the spherot are channels through which an infinite God channels his energy into a finite world. I'm going to go through the spherot very, very quickly. What is Keter? Crown. 
The crown represents what we call the subconscious, unconscious, or superconscious of a human being. Like just, you know, just like a crown sits on the head, the head will relate to the intellect. But the crown sits on top of the head. It's above intellect. There are many words in psychology for it, but it's, call it subconscious, unconscious, and superconscious. Chochmah, Bina, and Dat. So this represents in, the, in a human being the head, the intellect. You will see in a minute when we start talking about the 13 levels of love, the right side of the spherot is called the masculine side. The left side is the feminine. And the middle pillar is called the integration of the two together. Now, it's very interesting. So this is one of the main symbols that has tremendous symbolic um, meaning to it is the yin-yang. And um, much of, in in fact, even Chinese medicine is based on yin-yang. And this is also a male and female type of symbolism. What's different about the Kabbalah is that this middle, in a sense, this middle line becomes much more important. In the East, the symbolism is based on duality. In Kabbalah, it's based on a triangle, on three lines, not two. It has the two of the yin-yang, but the middle line is the integrative level. Chesed, what's chesed? Kindness. Gevura, strength, power, might. Now, all of these actually have many, many meanings to them. Tiferet, beauty. Tiferet is like beauty, but here it means beauty, harmony, holistic, integrative, healing. There's all, all kinds of meanings to these. Netzach, eternity, forever. One, one of the meanings is eternity. What's interesting is that the root of Netzach is a conductor. A conductor is called a minatzeach. In the soul... Netzach has to do with the ability to not just integrate. Integrate is to ferret, but then to take that integration and make it work. That's what a conductor does. Hod is glory. But it means much more than that. It means glory. The word for toda is from hod. Thanksgiving, acknowledgement, lehodot, to praise. And the most important one is Yehudi, a Jew. Most people don't know this. Yehudi, the root of Yehudi is Hod. And that's why it's interesting. What is the first thing that a Jew says when he wakes up in the morning? What's the first word that they're supposed to say? Moda anila fanecha. I give praise before you, or I acknowledge before you. And Moda comes from Hod. So the fact that for a Jew, the first thing it says is a word that has to, that its root is Hod, that's, that's where it's connected. Yesod, foundation. Literally means the foundation. And you can just see it in the structure here. It's all the ones are, are, are like, it's like a funnel. Everything above it is funneled through Yesod. And the last one is Malchut, Melech, 
Malchut, kingdom. So it's interesting, what does a king wear on his head? A keter. So the top one is a keter, the bottom one is Malchut. Now, the ten spherot operate on literally an infinite amount of levels. That's the incredible thing about it, is that whether you're talking about uh, economy or psychology or chemistry or biology or angels or the soul or the physical world, the spiritual world, the ten spirit are manifest at all those different levels. So the one that, w- that we're going to discuss tonight is that the spirit are not just God's channels from a divine world into a finite world. But since a human being is made in the image of God, then these ten spherot become characteristics within a person. They become our psychological uh, roadmap. And that's why teachings of Hasidut are very psychological in nature. Okay, so, this subject here is the idea of love and relationships. Now, if you've counted how many levels there are here, even though there are ten spherot, without getting into a long explanation, we're told that the, the ten spherot have thirteen inner dimensions. And also what's interesting is, in the world at large, thirteen is considered a very unlucky number. Have you ever taken an elevator? And a lot of times they don't have the 13th floor, right? Thir- you know, the, you know, Friday the 13th, and you know all these things about 13, which is very interesting because in Judaism, 13 is a very, very special number. It's a very blessed number, actually. And there are many, many, many things in our tradition that have to do with 13. The 10 outer dimensions of the Surah have 13 inner dimensions. Now, why is this so perfect for a discussion of love? Because what's the word for love in Hebrew? Ahava. Can anyone tell me what the numerical value of Ahava is? 13. Aleph, hey. Bet, hey. So Aleph is how much? 1. Hey is 5. So you have 6. Bet, 8. And another hey, 13. So it turns out that this particular subject is like is made for this structure, right? And so that's why it's called the 13 levels of love. Okay, so now let's just look at the left-hand column. We haven't looked at the left-hand column yet. This tells us that there are four basic loves. This is an incredibly important teaching. Even though you see five manifestations of them, the upper one and the lower one, like I said before, the, the, the king wears the crown. So they're totally linked together. There's an expression that says that the end is wedged in the beginning and the beginning and the end. We're actually told that there are four worlds, four spiritual worlds. And we're told that the, the malchut of one world is actually the keter of the next world, the one below it. They're totally interlocked. So if you look in the left side, we're told that there's four 
basic loves in Torah worldview. And all loves and relationships work into these four loves. So the first one is love of God. And this is called essential love. Why essential love? It's because in, there's an expression in Hasidic teachings that the soul is a part of God above. And this is a, a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov. And the Sham is a chalak me'elokam mima'al. An actual part of God above. And Chabad came and said, Mamash. Right? Like, for real. So that's why it's called essential love. Because in a, in a way, love of God is completely united with love of self in a sense. Like the more we know our own soul, the more we know God. The more we know God, the more we know our own soul. Okay, so the next level is called the intellectual. And this is called love of Torah. That's an obvious one. Remember I said about triangles? Do you see on the chart the triangles? See how Chachma, Bin, and Dat form a triangle? Chesed, Gavur, and Teferet make a triangle. Netzachot and Yesod make a triangle. And then, um, and then you have ones, let's say, Teferet, Hod, Netzach is a triangle. Dat, Gavura, Chesed. Keter, Chachma, Bin. There's all triangles. Interwoven triangles. So, Chesed, Gavura, and Teferet is called emotional love. That's called the love of Israel. And the last one is called the love of the land. Now, if you do these in order, it's, uh, what's, this, what's the purpose of a model? The purpose of a model is when you have, let's say, a lot of information. It's a mechanism in which to not just remember, but to organize one's thoughts. So here, in a very, very simple teaching, we have this whole picture, it's kind of like the whole Jewish worldview. You have love of God, love of Torah, love of Israel, and love of the land. And everything fits into those four categories. So in the level of Keter, what's called essential love, or great love. So we have the love of God to Israel and the love of Israel to God. So you might ask, well, why, why, why call them two relationships? So it's, very, it's very obvious. As you'll see down in the list, you have to say love of parents to children and love of children to parents. They're completely different, right? In other words, the way a parent relates to his children is very, very, very different than the way children relate to their parents. Even though you might call them both love, but they're coming from completely different places. The, the dynamics, the emotional attachments, the, the responsibility, everything is completely different depending on which shoes you're standing. There's the love of God to Israel and the love of Israel to God. And this is considered on the, the highest level. 
and the, the lowest level. This is what in, infuses all the loves. We're told that this is the love that manifests in love of Torah, love of Israel, and love of the land is all a manifestation of love of God. The book that best describes this is Shira Shirim, the Song of Songs. That even though when you read it, it appears to be a love story between a man and a woman, but we're told that it's an allegorical love story between God and the Jewish people. In relationship to God, we are considered, the Jewish people are considered the feminine. And God is considered the masculine. What's interesting is on Shabbos, there's a different relationship. The Jewish people become the masculine, and Shabbos is the feminine. And then there's one other one. Another relationship that we'll get to later is the Jewish people are considered the masculine, and Eretz Yisrael is considered feminine. So sometimes we're the masculine, sometimes we're the feminine. But in general, we're told that there is, there's five words for the soul in Hebrew. The soul has five levels. Neshama, Nefesh, Ruach, Chaya, and Yechida. And what's interesting is, is that all five of them are feminine. All five names of the soul are feminine. So that means that a male has, um, obviously, a feminine part. And this is the soul. Again, in relationship to God, we are all feminine. So here, the, the, the love of God to Israel and the love of Israel to God is on an unconscious, supra-conscious level. It infuses our whole being, but it's not something that we necessarily even realize is there or consciously even think about. That's what's the level of the superconscious. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Intellectual, we call it the love of Torah. And there's, there's a, a statement in Pirkei Avar, it says, Hafachba, Hafachba, Kikulaba. Like, turn it, and turn it again, because all is in it. Meaning, meaning the Torah. So here when we say love of Torah, it really means love of, of all wisdom. Because it's considered that the root of all wisdom is in the Torah. As we said before, that God spoke and the world came into being. So it says that God looked into the Torah and created the world. Where the Torah becomes the blueprint for the world. So therefore, all wisdom is rooted in the Torah. So on the level of Chachma, it's the love of teacher to student. Being is the love of student to teacher. Like I said before, each one is, is different. It's not like one love. Each one is, is a, a relationship. Now, what's, what's interesting is that Judaism puts an enormous emphasis on student-teacher relationships. In the world in general, 
these kind of relationships don't exist all that much. Unless you are, let's say, an intellectual yourself and you're in a, an academic environment. Right? But if you're not, you go to school, you have teachers. Some of them you remember fondly. Most of them you can't even remember their names. Once you get to a little bit older, maybe you can still remember. But once you get a little bit older, you don't even remember their names anymore because they, they just didn't affect you. Usually along the way you have a handful and you could say, ah, they really affected me. But how many people, when they get to be 25, can say they still have any relationship with any of their teachers? And then, of course, there's the love of the student to teacher. And especially in our tradition, it was all handed down teacher to student. In the oral tradition, it's even more important, right? Because in, from Mount Sinai to when the Mishnah was written down, about 1500. Mount Sinai was approximately 1300 BCE. Approximately. Mishnah is around 200 CE. So that means for 1500 years, our tradition was handed down word of mouth, teacher to student, which is, I mean, astounding. But even till today, there's been no lessening of the importance of teachers, even though you can you get everything in books now, you get everything translated. Uh, they have wonderful Gomorrahs now that actually walk you through the Gomorrah as if you didn't need a teacher. Right? They're phenomenal books. They actually, it's not just a translation of the Talmud, but it actually explains word by word, line by line, step by step, how to understand it. But it doesn't replace a teacher. Now then in the middle you have the, the unity of students. Meaning, if a, let's say a Rav has 100 students, there's a whole relationship between the students themselves. The Arizal, the famous Kabbalist of Sfat, said once to his students, of all the relationships that need fixing, and are preventing the Mashiach from coming. He said, more than any of them is this aspect of the love between students. And he was quoted once as saying is, is that if there were even ten students in the world who, who displayed the right level of love and respect for each other, that alone could bring Mashiach. And the most famous case we have uh, in our history is when we count the Omer. So the first 33 days of the Omer are, is a period of semi-mourning. Why is that? So we're told that Rabbi Kiva had 24,000 students. And during those 33 days, they all died of a plague. And the Gemara asks, like, like, nothing happens. It's found, right? Coincidence. So the Gemara says, like, what, what went wrong? What happened to 24,000 students? And so the Gemara says, because they did not have the, the right type of respect one for the other. There was some, something missing there. Didn't say that they hated each other. Didn't say they were mean to each other. Didn't say they were jealous of each other. Just so they didn't show the, the appropriate respect for one to the other. 
and it says that they all died. Afterwards, Rabbi Akiva had five <coughs> students left. To those five students, he gave over the whole tradition. And it made it. One of them was Shemim One of the five was Shemim And Lagba Omer, Shemim died in Lagba Omer. So that's why it's the two symbolisms of Lagmorma is one is, is uh, Shimon by Yochai, the other one is Rabbi Kiva. And it would be, this is the a classic teacher-student relationship. And of course, Shimon by Yochai wrote the Zohar, but where did he really get it from? It's from Rabbi Kiva. His other student was Rabbi Meir, who really formed the, 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 the backbone of the Mishnah. So Rabbi Akiva, through Rabbi Akiva came the whole oral tradition and the whole mystic tradition. Through one person, able to channel both of them into the world. But if you look in the Talmud, the whole Talmud is based on, on student-teacher relationships. And to this day, it's a very, very important aspect. But then there's also, like I said, the unity of the students themselves, among themselves. And uh, this is a big thing if uh, anyone's ever gone to, uh, or known people gone to yeshiva or seminary. So much of the yeshiva seminary experience is the relationship among the peers. Right? As much as the classes and, and the learning and everything is like, that whole relationship because most people like who come to Israel for a year they make friends for their whole life next. the next one are Chesed, Gevura and Tiferet now this is called the love of Israel so in Chesed it's love of husband to wife Gevura is love of wife to husband and Tiferet is love between friends so what's interesting here is that the love of husband and wife is in the context of love of Israel. Right now, it's you know the love of Israel is the overriding love here, and the love between two people, in a sense, fit into into that. And here, you, of course, you have love between friends, which is v'haftalarecha kamocha. To love your neighbor as yourself. And in this one, by extension, you have the love of all mankind. That's included in here. Because we said that all loves are included here. So sometimes people look at this chart and say, well, what about everyone else? Right? But that's where it really fits in here. Is love of the, of, of the world fits in but it actually fits into the context of love of Israel. There's one concept I didn't mention that's really, really critical here. And it's, in Hebrew it's called heat kolalut. And the word kol, which means everything. Heat kolalut means inter-inclusion. So we're looking at this chart one-dimensionally. But we have to know, and it would take many, many hours, um, to, to explain it, but each one of these loves has all the others included in them. And you can see, just in this love of husband to wife and love of wife to husband, just very, very quickly is 
that sometimes a husband is a teacher to a wife and sometimes a wife is a teacher to the husband. Especially with the laws of what are called the laws of family purity. So there's times of the month where the relationship between husband and wife is a is an emotional, passionate kind of love. At the times of the month, it's more like brother, sister, or friends, because of the lack of physical contact. But that really rounds out the relationship. So between husband and wife, there's also, you know, best friends, brother, sister, and and then there's also um, being parents together and being children together. Of course, it's a whole psychological thing where they say that you know people look for their mate, right, like their father and their mother. But there's something. There's definitely something to it. This is true for all of them. So that what reminded me is when you said the emotional thing, because in one sense the love of Israel is emotional, but it's also innate. It's also intellectual. It's also essential. And the love of Torah is not just intellectual. It's also emotional. Like when you dance with the Torah on, on Simchus Torah, it's not an, an intellectual connection with the Torah. It's a very emotional, innate. So each one has all the other levels in them. And that's the beauty of it. When you, when you understand how each one, and you could identify how all of them have all the different levels. Then you get, then you get like the whole thing. Then you get a three-dimensional picture of all this. We're just doing a very, very uh, superficial one-dimensional, which is also valuable. Okay, the next one is an interesting one. That love of parents to children, love of children to parents, and sibling love are connected to the love of the land. Now, the other ones are very obvious. The love of God, as we call it, essential. And students and teachers is love of Torah and intellectual. That makes perfect sense. Husband and wife is emotional. Makes perfect sense. This one's not so obvious. The connection between parents and children and the love of the land. But, if we understand the following, is that until very recently and I would say really the last maybe 250 years in, in human history. Until then, one's connection to the land was incredibly important. We're now an urban society, and we don't, we don't have that same understanding. So in a Torah perspective, Torah perspective, when we came into the land of Israel, everyone was given their inheritance, their piece of land, everyone. And it was given over from, from generation to generation. The amazing thing is, is if you sold your land in the Jubilee year, the 50th year, it goes back to the original owner. You can't, you can't really sell your land forever. It's a completely different concept of ownership than we have now. All land reverted back to their original owners in the 50th year. Meaning that the connection between a family and the land 
was like eternal. It was like an eternal connection. And actually, we're, we're told that when, when Mashiach comes, so everyone will be identified by their tribe, and there will be this concept that everyone will get their portion in Eretz Israel. So that's, what, that's the connection to parents and children. And like I say, like throughout human history, even outside of Judaism, this was a concept that every society has, and much of the world still has to this day, is one's connection to the land has to do with family. Okay, one last one is the, in Malkut, is the love of king to subjects, or master to servant, love of subjects to king, or servant to master. So, now, obviously, talking about God, so we look to God as our king. Every bracha that we make, baruch Hashem, avakenu melech, I'm the king of the universe. So we have this concept, and, and there's a tradition to say a hundred blessings a day. So a hundred times a day we, we mention that God is king. Most of us don't pay any mind what we're really saying. So therefore, at Rosh Hashanah, the big emphasis is on, on crowning God king. And then we really do pay attention. Right? But really, a hundred times a day we say that God is king. So, the, in, in the Torah, Moshe is called Eved Hashem, the servant of God. And this is called the highest compliment that he's called the servant of God. Right? So, this last one is the hardest one to understand because in our experience or our understanding of history, just the word servant or slave has immediate negative connotations and for good reason. Right? We, came, we came from uh, Egypt as slaves and for most people, at least in, in America, when you say slave, you immediately think of um, blacks in the South and the Civil War and the whole thing. That's our immediate association. But here, this is the, the, the positive side of being a servant. And that's why it's called, um, the, the, the expression is serving God. In Hebrew, Abudat Hashem. What we do in this world is called serving God. But for most people, it's a, it's, it's a faraway concept. And the concept of king is even more distant. It's like, a, all the relationships in the chart, is like, we barely have that concept in our head. Uh, so, one way we can relate to it a little bit is... The closest thing that comes to this is what's called the Hasidic court, is the Rebbe-student relationship of a, of a big Hasidic group where the Rebbe, in a sense, in miniature, it's like, it's like a miniature is like the king. And it's actually a very important model to have some kind of grasp of 
kind of grasp of, and especially now because in in politics there's people hardly identify with the president or prime minister. It's like it's just very different than even when I was growing up. When I was growing up, there was there was like veneration for the president. We don't have of kingship either. We we think of kingship as uh, like dictatorial and a monarch as being irrelevant in the world. And, and it, it's true. So here we're talking about the positive aspect. And the idea that in our tradition, you know, we talk about Mashiach all the time, but the, like the, the, the technical name is Melech HaMashiach the Messianic king. And in our tradition, the, the Mashiach will be a king. And he'll restore a certain aspect. Right? And so, so what's the connection? They say that a Melech is what's called a Neshama Klalit, which is the same word as we said for interinclusion. Heat Kalalut. A Neshama Klalit means a general soul. What does that mean? It means that a, a king in the ideal sense, it means it's a neshama like, like David Amelech that everyone would be able to connect to. Or like Moshe Rabbeinu. Is that the king has like a little spark of everyone else in them. So when people relate to the king it's like a, a direct connection because a little bit of them is in the king because the king represents all the people. That's the importance of the king. So that's what Melech HaMashiach will be. Everyone will be able to relate to Mashiach because Mashiach will have a little bit of us in him. And we'll be able to, able to connect. So we're, we're assuming Mashiach will be that same kind of figure. But we also have a tradition that he'll be a warrior and he'll be a ruler and he'll be a like a posek. He'll be a, a halakhic authority. Like all in one. All of these traditions are on, are on Mashiach. So unless you have these experiences, the idea of, of teacher, student, rebbe, you know, Talmud, king, Relationship, you, you can't, it, it's hard to explain. I'll just end with a blessing that, uh, as we started off, the idea that there are 13 different relationships and that love is 13. So I just bless everyone to be able to have a fulfilling relationship at all these different levels. Because usually when you say the word love, you think of male, female. The love is, has many different dimensions, has many different relationships. But this blessed everyone with a rich, full life of love.